0: you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together this morning. Acts chapter 16 verse 6, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Messiah, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Messiah, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. And Father, we do ask for that encouragement. We, we think of our our brothers and sisters here this morning, uh, many of us who have, uh, by your sovereign hand, been directed in, in new ways. Uh, we pray for those who are hurting this morning, for those who uh, you and your sovereign love and, and kindness and direction are, are leading them away different than what they had anticipated. We pray that you would Continue to be kind to them, to let them experience the, the awareness of the presence of your Holy Spirit. You would guide and continue to direct us as individuals and as a church. Help us to encourage one another this morning. and Let that begin today as we look at your word together. And We pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. One summer when I was a youth pastor, we took our youth to a summer camp in Kansas City and it was, a, it was a great experience. It was a denominational camp, and not a denomination we were a part of, but we went to this, this summer camp, and it was a, they did a great job. We, we brought our youth there, and there were other churches there with, with their youth groups, and every evening there would be a great message by a, a speaker, and the, the speaker would encourage the kids to respond to the message in some way. And so like one night, they, they were encouraged to to respond by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. They encouraged them to, to come forward and, and to place their faith in Jesus Christ. And another night, they encouraged them to, uh, to to repent of sin and to kind of, again, just kind of publicly do that. And uh, then one night, uh, and this this took me a little off off guard, one night they encouraged the kids, they said, okay, you know, if there's a real exciting message, they said, okay, if, if you desire to give your life to Christ in terms of your, your vocation, uh, your your life and your you want to be involved in in ministry as as a pastor or a missionary come come forward tonight and, and commit your life to being a a pastor or a missionary or, or you know, whatever vocation your vocation is going to be in the ministry and kids came forward I think five of our kids came forward that night and I was talking about this with with Whitney later uh, at, at the camp I said that that was kind of weird last night right and she goes well what was weird I said well it's kind of weird to, ask high school students to commit their life to becoming a, a pastor or a missionary or whatever. And She goes, well, she had been part of the same denomination. She said, well, that was, that, that was like every summer camp I went to. Did, didn't they do that at your summer camp? I said, no, like every night was, are you sure you're a Christian? Um, now that was kind of my summer camp experience. And so this was kind of, uh, this was kind of strange for, for me. And she goes, oh no, that was always done. And so I thought a lot about it. In fact, we were talking about it this morning and I was asking witness, and what were the different nights and what did they do? And she, she told me, I said, and, and um, did you ever go forward? And if so, which nights? And she said, it's a Sunday morning, this conversation is over. Uh, I don't want to be a sermon illustration. So uh, I don't know what night. You can ask her later if she ever went forward or whatever. But I don't, actually, I don't think she did. But um, for vocational ministry or whatever. But uh, I, I, was, I thought a lot about that night. I thought a lot about that That call to encourage high school students to commit their lives to ministry. I had a couple thoughts. One, I thought it was good in terms of the idea of putting that in front of young people. Like, hey, this is an opportunity that you might have. God might call you to, to missions, and I think we need to be doing that for our young people, right? Say, hey, it's, it's possible that God might call you to, to give your life to engage in, in missions or pastoral ministry or something like that. That's a, that's a good thing, and I, I think we should do that. The manner in which they, they did it, I had a couple of concerns about it as I thought more about it. One of my concerns was, it concerned me that we kind of view like two classes of Christians almost. Like, okay, there's, there's normal Christians and there's like super committed Christians and the super committed Christians all go into vocational ministry. And that's, that's not how God describes a Christian life. All of us are completely committed Christians, not just the people who decide to go into vocational ministry, Right? And, and then I was also concerned because I thought, you know, I'm—I I'm, don't think this is the best way for a person to determine whether or not God is calling them to, to full-time vocational ministry or really any ministry. The, the way to determine that you're called to ministry is not to. Ha- be at camp, and some speaker you don't really know all that well said, hey, come forward if you want to, and if you want to, you come forward, and you kind of respond to that and say, okay, now I'm committed to ministry. I I don't think that's a very healthy way to get called to the pastoral ministry or missions or really any ministry that you're going to do as a believer. You say, well, okay, what is the best way to know what God wants me to do? Remember last week, we talked about how all of us, by God's grace, have this incredible potential for ministry. And God in his grace can can cause us to be engaged in, in very fruitful ministry. But the path from potential ministry to fruitful ministry is a path that involves sacrifice. And hopefully all of us this morning would say, yeah, Daniel, I, I believe that. I believe that God has Called me to be involved in, in ministry. I, I believe that God could have a very fruitful ministry for me, and I'm, I'm committed to sacrifice. Hopefully, all of us would say that. I'm, I'm committed to living a sacrificial life for the glory of God, but what? I don't know what that involves. How, how do I know what God desires me to do? And maybe some of you had a, a camp experience where you went forward and, and made some sort of a commitment or Maybe you've done some other things to try to determine what God's will is. And, and Christians sometimes do some, some interesting things, I think, to determine what it is God desires them to do with their lives. Maybe some, some of us have an emotion, like kind of a, I, I feel this is what God wants me to do. Or maybe some of us are directed by God by guilt. You know, I feel guilty about doing this, so that must mean God wants me to do it because I feel guilty about it. Or maybe we just kind of have some sort of quasi-mystical spiritual response to, to need. Like I'm, I'm wondering what I want to do with my life. I'm a young person and I read that Jesus' father was a carpenter. I'm like, well, I guess I'm wondering about that and God showed me this passage. Maybe I'm supposed to be a carpenter as well. Or maybe I'm supposed to be like Jesus and do what my father did. And my dad's an engineer, so God's calling me to be an engineer. I mean, We, we do some, some funny things, I think, to determine what it is God desires us to do. Now, in, in this text, look at the text with me if you would. We're looking at verses 6 through, through 10. And, and look, at the, the last verse says, we, 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 we sought to go into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That, that word concluding means we, had, we, we determined on the basis of the evidence that we had. We, we made a, a reasonable conclusion about what we should be doing. Now, how do we conclude what ministry God has for us. Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke conclude that God desires them to go to Macedonia. How do you conclude? How do you determine what God would have you do? How can you be confident that the Spirit is leading you in the ministry that that you're doing? You, You know you have potential, you're willing to sacrifice. How can you be sure that you're engaged in the ministry that's going to bring fruit? Well, here's the main thing that I want us to think about this morning. Steadfast, humble obedience to God's special revelation grants us confidence the Holy Spirit is directing our ministry. Steadfast, humble obedience, that is, holding our lives loosely, being obedient to God's special revelation, that's, that's Scripture, can give us confidence that, that the Holy Spirit is, is involved and is directing the ministry to which We are engaged. So what we're going to do is we're going to see how the spirit works, really how the the triune God works by both what he prohibits and what he provides in the life of of these Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and, and Luke at the end there. We're going to see how he directs by both what he prohibits them from doing and what he provides to give them direction. And we also can have confidence that we are being obedient. And here's the first thing that I want us to look at in verses 6, 7, and eight. First thing is this. The Spirit directs us by what he prohibits. And by he, I really mean the triune God there, but the Spirit's work we're going to look at specifically this morning. But the Spirit's going to direct us by what he prohibits. Let's begin in verse 6. Let me show you a map here. This is a map. If you can't see this map very well, you can look in the back of your Bible. Maybe it, it has one as well. But this is, the, this is the route of Paul's second missionary journey. And you can see there, the, the starting point is there in Antioch and Syria, so the far right of, uh, from where you're sitting, kind of up on the upper Syria there. They start there, and they, they go through Cilicia, and they go into the southern Galatian region, and that's where we were last week. That's where they pick up Timothy, right? Now look at verse 6 and we see first of all as they as they are engaged in this ministry they are forbidden by the Holy Spirit to to speak the word in Asia. So they've been there you can go back to the map there while while we're up there just so if people want to kind of kind of look at this as, as we talk this, there's some some places mentioned here. So they've they've gone through this this region and I think that at this point they're Maybe they arrive in Antioch and Pisidia. That's that's right there on the edge of Galatia and Asia, and so they've they've gone through the southern Galatian region, and they've been revisiting the churches. They've been revisiting the revisiting the people there. They've strengthened the saints, and now they arrive there in Antioch and Pisidia, and they're thinking, okay, um, maybe we're supposed to go across Asia right? You see where Asia there is, that yellow portion. Maybe we're supposed to go through Asia, maybe we're supposed to go down to Ephesus, and so they, they're there in Antioch and Pisidia, and they begin to think, man, what an incredible opportunity we have to to do here in Asia what we've done in, in other regions. We're going to be able to establish these churches, and as we establish these churches, God's going to do some amazing things here in Asia, and so they're, they're preparing to go on into that area and establish churches and maybe they're talking to one another and and Silas is excited about this opportunity. He says, man, when we go to this place, I, if we go here. And they're talking to people that are there in Antioch and Pisidia and they're talking about different different places along that route. And, and maybe Timothy is excited. He's thinking about Ephesus and what he can do there as they make their way there. And someday actually Timothy going to be a pastor in Ephesus. But but they're excited about this opportunity. And But what does the text tell us? The text tells us they, they go through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. That is, instead of going west across Asia, they go north. You see, they kind of go north up into, towards Bithynia. And it says that, why did they do that? Why didn't they go through Asia? It says because, look at verse 6, it says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. He he hinders, he he prevents. How does he hinder? How does he prevent? The, The text doesn't tell us. Maybe they were hindered because of an illness. They were, they were going to go in a certain time of the year, and, and they weren't able to because there had been an illness. Or, or maybe there was some sort of legal situation they ran into where they didn't have the authority to go into a certain place. Uh, maybe there was just a, a, a special revelation through the, the prophecy of the people there in Antioch or Silas. We know that he was a prophet. Maybe there was some sort of special revelation God gave them that says, look, the Holy Spirit is, is saying, this is not the ministry you're supposed to go on. We don't know. All we know is that God said no, and they were aware that God said no. And so instead of going west, they go north. And so they arrive there, kind of almost going in towards Bithynia, and look at verse 7. It says so they'd come to Mysia, and they think, well, now we'll go into Bithynia. So now they think, well, we'll just keep going north. So they couldn't go west. They think well, we'll go north, and they begin to think about Bithynia, and they think about the cities there, and maybe they get excited again. Okay, Nicaea is there. Uh, there's the opportunity there to con- continue to-, to preach the gospel in Bithynia. Byzantium is there now. Uh, Istanbul was Constantinople. Um, you know, there's this opportunity to, to preach the gospel in-, in that incredibly crucial city. And, and, and so maybe they get excited about Bithynia. But what does the text say? The, the text tells us that they're forbidden to go there as well. They come to Messiah, they attempt to go, continue to go north in Bithynia, but it says the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. There's the Spirit of Jesus there, of course, being the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit who does the work of the risen Lord. Now, how did the Spirit prevent them this time? Again, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us. That's not the important thing to know. It's not important to know the specific details of how. What's important to know is that for whatever reason and by whatever means, the Spirit makes it very clear to Paul and Silas and Timothy, this is not the ministry for you. And so what do they do instead? They begin this 500-something-mile journey from where they started in Antioch and Pisidia. They don't go west. They don't go north. They go to Troas. What do we learn by, by looking at what happens in these verses? What we learn is that our human reasoning is not an infallible guide in determining what God wants us to do. How do we know this? Because over and over again, What we think God will have us do is not what you and I end up doing. Maybe you've been at a point in life where you've been excited about a plan or a strategy. Maybe you're a a young person. you, You began high school and you say, okay, in high school, this is what I'm gonna do. This is what my life is gonna look like. I'm gonna be involved in this team and these clubs, I'm going to make these grades, I'm going to get into these classes, then I'm going to go to this college, and my life is going to look this way. And at a very early point, God said, no, that's not going to be the plan. You you didn't get on the team that you thought you were going to get on. You didn't make the grades that you thought you were going to make on the ACT or the SAT. You you didn't have the friends that you thought you were going to have. Suddenly, life looked very different. Or maybe you had this, this, this plan for, for ministry and there was an illness and, and suddenly your life looks a lot different than you thought your life was going to look. Or, or maybe you were excited about a need. You say, okay, there's this need that exists in the church, and the community. I'm going to be involved in, in meeting that need. And for whatever reason, it didn't work out for you to be the person to, to do that. There are times where God clearly prohibits you from a ministry or a direction. We, we sometimes use the phrase, God closed a door, and that's a, that's a biblical phrase. Acts 14.27 talks about God opening a door for ministry. We see it in the, both letters to the Corinthians. Paul talks about God opening a door for ministry. But the phrase, when God closes a door, he opens a window, that's not in Scripture, right? Okay. Sometimes you just get a closed door and you're stuck in the room well, what do I do now? You say, well, how do I know when God is prohibiting something? Let me give you a couple thoughts here. Let me give you four thoughts about how we know that God is, is prohibiting things. Number one, sometimes God prohibits through circumstances. Sometimes God prohibits ministry through circumstances. You're wondering, what does God want me to do? And, and God says no through circumstances. And First Thessalonians, Paul says to the people in Thessalonica, says, I wanted to come to you again and again, but Satan hindered us. God allowed Satan to prevent Paul from doing what he desired to do. You want to be involved in, in some sort of ministry, and, and you've, you've gotten sick, and you're not able to do this ministry that you thought you were going to be able to do. You thought you are going to be able to, to host care groups, and, and suddenly because of where your family's at, with Ill, you can't do that anymore. Maybe you're a a young person, and and you think okay, or, or an older person, you think okay, I'm I I want to be um, I want to be a, a mom, I want to be a dad, I want to be a husband, I want to be a wife, and and God has th- through circumstances said no, not not at this time. You say yeah, but I I'd be this I'd be a great husband, I, I'd be a great wife. I would if if I was a if I was a wife, I would I would have the creativity of a Martha Stewart the the inspirational leadership of Joan of Arc and the, the teaching and wisdom of a Jen and I have this amazing opportunity to, to, to be in this ministry. And, and God says, through your circumstances, no. I, I remember one time whenever my, my parents came and, and visited in central Illinois here and uh, they were visiting the church. We were getting ready to plant the church. And my, my parents, as we were kind of driving around Washington, there was an open house, I think on a, a house on Kingsbury, Kingsbury. Kingsbury? Kingsbury? I only go on that road every day. Um, we, we were on that road and there was an open house and my parents walked around the, this house on, on the street there. And I just had this thought, you know, what if what if my mom and dad moved in this area and, and dad was involved and, and mom was involved in ministry at this new church? Plant. Like, How cool of a ministry opportunity would that be? And you'd be able to kind of dream about things like that, ministering with your family. And, and you know, God, very clearly said, no, you, you're not going to get the opportunity to be involved in ministry with your dad. That's not going to happen, okay? No way. God prohibits. Sometimes God prohibits through divine revelation. You have a desire to, to go into to ministry. You, you want to be a pastor maybe, but you're a new Christian. And First Timothy says, look, an, an elder can't be a recent convert. You're asked to be an elder, and and as you think about being an elder, you're like, man, I do not want to do this, but I, I feel guilted into it. First and, and Peter, five, don't, don't serve under compulsion. You know this is not how you to be called to the ministry. God gives you divine revelation. This is not what you're supposed to be. There's a there's a clear divine revelation. This is not what you're supposed to do. Disappointing maybe, but but clear. You want to marry someone? You really love this, but they're not a believer. You have. Clear divine revelation, this is not where God desires you to go. So sometimes God prohibits through circumstances, sometimes through divine revelation. Number three, sometimes he he prohibits through the application of biblical principles. You want to be involved in the biblical counseling ministry. And you you meet with a a church leader and they say, look, um, we don't believe this is the ministry you're called to at, at this time. That's that's hard for you. It's it, it's hurtful. But you say, okay, God's God's called me to, to submit to, to my church leadership, and this is where they don't believe that I'm called. That's that's God, the biblical principle there lets me know. This is not the ministry I'm supposed to be in right now. God's prohibiting through the application of biblical principles. You're you're on the church building committee, and you say, you know what, I, I think we need to build a, a $2 million expansion. And, and you know, then you look at the biblical principles about debt, and you think about God's call on our church to maybe be involved in church planting and, and some missions. We can't do both these things. And so by the application of biblical principles, you say, God is, God is not leading in this direction that maybe I thought he might. And then number four, sometimes, or always, always, no matter what no we receive or prohibition, always God, by God I mean the the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, are, are providing us the Holy Spirit to enable us to trust and grow and persevere when he prohibits us from moving in a certain direction. Sometimes the no that God has given us is, is devastating. We really thought he was going to allow us to pursue this, this course in our lives. We really thought this was the ministry that he was going to have for us. And God says, no. And we're overwhelmed with, with a sense of, of disappointment and loss, of hurt. Can be very discouraging. But what we see here is that God's no is not an unkind no, it's not a, a no driven by a desire to punish us, to cause us to, to suffer, to harm us. We, we take heart in this prohibition, God's prohibition is, is the gracious direction of a God who loves us. You say, well, okay, I, I've been, God, is, God has prohibited me from moving in a direction. I, I, wanted, to be, I wanted to be a, a, a dad, but, but that's not happening right now. I wanted to be involved in, in leading this small group. That's not happening right now. God's, God's prohibited me from moving forward in that direction. I, I wanted to be in, uh, a missionary, and that's not happening. What does that mean? You might have some, some questions. Okay, if, if God is saying no, is this ministry ever going to get done? I see this need and I feel drawn to it and God is prohibiting me from moving in that direction. Does that mean that it'll it'll never get done? No, it just means not by you. Bithynia gets reached. Peter, 1 Peter writes to to the churches that are there. Paul doesn't go there in this trip. The gospel gets there. God's got this. They don't go through Asia yet, but the gospel gets to Asia. Timothy is going to be the pastor, eventually the church in Ephesus, but just not this part of the trip is when they reach Ephesus. You say, well, okay, God can get things done, but... But why does he make things hard? Is, is God still with me? Is he still mindful of me in this time of disappointment? I, I had this plan for my life. I had this direction that I was headed in, and God is prohibiting me from moving in this direction. Is, is God still with me? Is the Spirit still involved in my life? No, uh, of course he is. Turn, turn your Bibles if you, if you would to, to John chapter 14 and, and take comfort in what Jesus says in John 14. In John chapter 14, verse. 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of the truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Verse 25 Jesus continues, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. God in his know is with us. The Holy Spirit, if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit has been given to you to be with you, to comfort you, to lead you, to direct you, to be kind to you, to be gracious. In that illness, in that time of loss, In a time of bewilderment where you're saying, okay, my life is careening in a direction. I have no idea what God is doing to this. In that moment, God is with you. And this prohibition is the kind direction of a loving Heavenly Father working through the Spirit to be with you and to guide you to the ministry that he has in store for you. So here's the next thing I want us to talk about, how the Spirit directs us. Number two, the Spirit directs us in what he Provides. The Spirit directs us by what He provides. God now directs this group, Paul and Silas and Timothy at this point, through special revelation. This is not normative in Acts to to speak through a dream, it's or a vision. It's not normative for us. It's not the normal way God communicates. We saw it with Peter earlier, now again with Paul. It's this extraordinary event. And in, in Acts, it, it's always accompanied a new ministry to a new re- group of people. That's what happens here. It says there's a vision. And there's a man standing in this vision and urging them to come into Macedonia and help them. Greece, uh, this part of Greece, Greece during this time period was divided into two regions. You had Kai in the south and Macedonia in the north. So you'll hear... a uh, like Paul talk about Macedonia, Ki. He's, he's talking about Greece there, Ki in the south, Macedonia in the north. And so they're there in Macedonia, in the northern region of Greece, and there's or they're not there. They're seeing a, a man from Macedonia and this vision, come into Macedonia and help us. And they reach a conclusion. Verse ten. And by the way, notice it says we. All of a sudden, that's the first time that it's used the word we instead of them. Uh, that means Luke has joined the group. Apparently, he was there in Troas, and that's where they pick up Luke. He's going to talk about himself uh, being a part of the group from this point forward in, in different sections of Acts. Anyway, uh, verse 10, Paul sees the vision, and immediately, so there's this immediate response of trying to be obedient to what they believe God is calling them to do. It says we concluded, and again, that word concluded means on the basis of the data that we have, What's the data that Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke had? God's called them to preach the gospel. Their local church has sent them on a mission. And now they're, they've had this, Paul's had this vision. And so the conclusion on the basis of that data, to be obedient to God, this is where we need to head. This is what we need to do. And so that's what they're going to do. Here's some principles. You say, okay, what do I do? have not had a dream, you know, not had a vision. No one's had a vision saying, come in, into Indiana and help us, right? That, that hasn't happened, right? how, how do I know? So God's prohibited me from doing some things. How, how, how do I know what he desires me to do? Here, here's, here's some principles that I think help us here. Number one, you and I need to obey God's special revelation to us. You might say, boy, if, if I could just have some direction like Paul had, you know? Paul got special, if I could just get some special revelation, then I could also know what God desires me to do. But the reality is, as, as you know, we, we do have special revelation. God has revealed to us what he desires us to do. Imagine if uh, I was leaving my kids. Uh, home for the for the evening. You know, think about your kids when they're kinda of getting that age where they're old enough to, to leave while you go on a date with your wife or you go do something. I mean that's it's this it's a beautiful it's a game changer, right? When they they reach that reach that age, which in Illinois I think is eighteen, according to the I don't know what the what the age is in Illinois, but it's it's a little suspect. You gotta be careful. Um but anyway, you're they're somewhere between the ages of three and eighteen. And um <laughs> You've reached the conclusion they can be left alone. and, and you leave them some instructions. Now, imagine you, you left them with, with hundreds of pages of instructions of what they need to do, and they, they, you leave and they look at each other and say, "I wish I wish Dad had left more direction." right? I, I wish we really knew what we were supposed to do." You, you've, got some, you've got some things to work with in terms of what God desires us to do, right? We have a special revelation from God about how we're to think about life and what we're to do and, and what we're to engage in and, and how we're supposed to, to live our lives. We, we've got some good things to go on, right? Just let me give you some examples. What, what's God's will? Okay, I need special revelation. I need God to tell me specifically what to do. Here's some stuff. Uh, number one, you, you can have faith in Christ. John 6.40 Jesus says, this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. God desires you to, to believe in Jesus, to trust in him. That's God's special revelation to you. That's what you need to do with your life. He you said, well, anything else? Yeah. God wants you to be sanctified. He wants you to be growing in holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. This is the will of God. This is, this is what God wants you to do. Your sanctification growth in holiness, growth in devotion to God that you abstain from sexual immorality. God desires you to live in such a way where you're fleeing sexual immorality and other things that cause you not to be devoted to God and you'd be devoted to God in sanctification, becoming more and more like him. You got anything else you ask? Yes. God wants you to give thanks in your, with your life. First Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So wherever you are this morning, whatever prohibitions God has put in your life, whatever direction you're seeking, there's just three things. God desires you to be believing in Jesus, to be growing in sanctification, and to be giving thanks. That, that's just a start. You say, anything else? Yeah, yes. God desires you to be seeking the kingdom of God. Matthew 6:31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the days its own trouble." you want some special revelation from God about how you're to be living your life, there's something else. As you think about what you're going to do with your life and your time and your energy, seek the kingdom of God. Don't be seeking material things. So if you say, okay, I have these two choices and one choice is for me to to do something that's going to cause me to be pursuing the kingdom of God and living for eternity and this other direction is is going to cause me to be seeking the gain of material things, I don't know which to do. Here's some special revelation for you. Seek the kingdom of God. Do you have more? Yes. A lot, I mean a lot more. We'll just do a couple more. God wants you to do good. He wants you to be doing good things. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, he says in 1 Peter 2. Whether it be to end the emperor as supreme or to governors is sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should. Put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. God wants you to be doing good things. God wants you to serve the church. Galatians chapter 5. Through love, serve one another. God wants you to love your family. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. God wants you to be involved in sharing the gospel. The Great Commission, Matthew 28. God wants you to be giving to to the the church. God wants you to be doing uh, these things for, for your life. That's his will. That's his special revelation for you. Sometimes when I say, boy, if I had a special, if like an angel from heaven came down and told me, give everything for the gospel, then then I'd do that, you know? But here's here's the reality. The reality is that that God has done that. We we can begin right now to say, okay, my life, I've been called to live in complete discipleship and following after the the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I know that's God's will for me. And I could be pursuing that with confidence. Here's a second principle that I encourage you with. Number two, don't bind yourself to, to subjective directives. But by, by subjective directives, I mean things that you just, they're not revealed in the word of God, but they're just kind of, a, the sub, maybe it's like a subjective feeling you have. And you say, okay, this must be a directive from God. Don't bind yourself to things that, that aren't clear in scripture. Hold some of those things loosely. You say, okay, well, there's this vision that that Paul has. Do, do I need something kind of like that? What, what about or what, just what about dreams? You know, should I be led by my dreams or or my feelings? Sometimes I have this this sense. Is is how do I know if that's of God or not? And I would say, look, just I'd be really careful with that. I mean, I've had a lot of dreams. You know, like. I dreamed one time that my brother's head, he was a new baby, I dreamed that his head was too big for someone to eat. <laughs> I haven't based a lot of my life around that, you know? Uh, I dreamed one time I fell out of an airplane, but I don't i don't view that as a directive from God, right? Uh, I, unless someone pushes me out of an airplane, that's not going to be happening, right? Lord willing, you know? <laughs> uh, So I'd be careful with that. What I'm saying is God's given you his all-sufficient word, and, and at best, feelings and, and dreams can, can simply confirm what his, his will already revealed to us is. Now, maybe you had a dream one time, and it reminded you of some biblical principles. Maybe you had a dream, and you did something bad, and something bad happened because you had sinned, and you're like, oh, maybe that's God telling me not to do that. Okay, sure. You know, I mean, if, if that's helpful, if he's reinforcing things that that he's already revealed to you in, in the word, but what I would caution you against is if people saying, look, I, I just have this feeling, you know. And I've been in this situation a lot where someone says, look, I, I'm, I'm thinking about pulling all my money from savings and investing like in a pine cone decorating business. Really? Yeah, I just have this sense. This is what God wants me to do. I, I don't know. I mean, and, and when someone tells like, I prayed about it and I just have this sense. And I, I don't, I, you know, I just have this this sense because I prayed about it. It's hard to argue that, right? Now, may, maybe, uh, maybe, but I would hold those things pretty loosely, right? Think about Colossians 3. Some people have pointed to Colossians 3.15. One author was talking about this, and Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And they said, well, I, I I don't do something until I know that I have the, the peace of Christ ruling in my heart. I say, well, what does that mean? Does that mean you don't Experiencing any distress about a decision? I, I, I don't think that's what Colossians 3.15 is saying. I'd say I, I, would, I would be much more comfortable looking at what Colossians 3 says and putting verse 15 in context here because you go to Colossians 3 and it gives us a lot of clear directives. Colossians 3 tells us, seek the things above, put to death earthly things, put on the new self, forgive each other, bear with one another, put on love, and then let the peace of Christ dwell in your hearts richly. My point, don't bind yourself to subjective directives that may or may not be God's plan for you. I, I would ask you to do other things. I'd encourage you to do other things that God has clearly commanded. And then, as you, you do those things, trust that God is going to lead. That's much more important than something subjective. And, and, and then serve with freedom. A third principle here, third principle, number three, serve where God has placed you. Just as God has sometimes sovereignly prohibits you from a certain direction, God has sovereignly placed you where you are right now and you need to begin to serve where you are without wondering, this is this exactly where I'm supposed to be at some point? It's interesting. Paul doesn't wait until he has a Macedonian ver- vision to begin to serve. You go from Antioch and Syria Uh, to Antioch and Pisidia, that's like a, it's over 300 mile, 350 mile journey. And then he travels another 500 miles to Troas. And he doesn't like wait to start doing things until he gets to Troas and has that vision. He's already some 800 something miles into into his missionary journey. He's been doing things the local church and the elders in Antioch were already involved in their ministry. They they begin to to do the things that God has called them to do. And my encouragement to you is is simply look around, okay, what circumstances has God sovereignly placed me in. And now, based upon where he's sovereignly placed me, I can make some reasonable conclusions about what he might be doing in my life. And then I begin to pursue ministry. I don't just I don't just respond to an emotional plea one night at camp although it's good to respond to the teaching of God's word, but I'm involved in my local church, I'm involved in the lives of other Christians, and I see where God has placed me, and I start to serve. And then other people come alongside me and they, and they confirm, yeah, this is, you're doing the things that God has called you to do. You're believing in Jesus. You're, you're pursuing sanctification. You're giving of yourself for the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And now other people are coming alongside you and, and encouraging you in the things that you're doing. And you can see the Holy Spirit working through that. You serve where God has placed you. Before they begin this journey, before they have the, the Macedonian vision, the, the elders have laid their hands on this, this team. First Timothy four fifteen, Paul talks about the council of elders laying their hands on Timothy. There's already been confirmation of godly men and women that this is the direction that they're to head. A fourth principle here hold your ministry and, and really just your entire life loosely. Our plans are not God's plans so often. The plans you thought you had are not the plans that God is going to have for you. And if you hold on to this subjective thing that you think God was going to do in your life, it can lead to a lot of misery and can lead to a lot of resisting of what the Holy Spirit is, is directing you toward. James would say in his letter, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go and we will do such and such will go to such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make profits. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, "If the Lord lives, we, if the Lord wills, we will live, and then do this or that." You boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. We hold our life and our ministry very loosely because we don't know what God has in store for us. We don't know what, what tomorrow will bring, much less what ministry God may or may not have in store for us. And then the, the fifth pr- principle I'd have, fifth encouragement I have for you here is, is number five, just trust the Spirit to enable you to fulfill the ministry to which you've been called. As you begin to serve, as you begin to, to seek to do the things that God has called you to do, trust the Spirit's enabling work to fulfill that ministry in you, not on your own strength, but but by His grace. Very often, as we think about what we desire, we desire to know like the short-term future. So, okay, when we, when we think about wanting to know God's will, oftentimes we're saying, "Okay, God, I have this six-month window, or six-year window, or ten-year window. I, I want you to, to to fill in those details for me, and and that's that's your will that I want to know." And God, in his grace, has let us know the future. But it's it's a longer time span, right? Let let me read to you from Ephesians. And and here we see about the type of of information that the Holy Spirit encourages us with. So I want the Spirit to direct me. I want the Spirit to give me knowledge about the future. This is the type of knowledge about the future that Paul prays the Spirit would give The people in Ephesus, listen to this. You can turn to Ephesians one if you want. He talks. He's talking about the Holy Spirit in in verse eleven. He says, "In Him, here he's talking about Christ. In Him, we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed." with the promised Holy Spirit. So all of us who are in Christ have the Holy Spirit. And what is the who is the Holy Spirit? Verse 14, he is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So as we think about the Holy Spirit, what is the Holy Spirit doing in us? He is a guarantee of an inheritance, and an eternal inheritance. And so right now we're in this moment, we're in, 2021, and the Holy Spirit is is an indi- is an indicator of this inheritance, or a, a, like a, a down payment, a, a first fruit of the inheritance that we're going to receive e- when eternity begins for us. If that's at the sometime during 2021, if it's sometime in 2051, or how old? At 2100, whatever it is, right, whenever that time is, that's that's whenever the Holy, that's whenever eternity is going to begin. And so right now we have the Holy Spirit saying, okay. Think about that time. That's, that's the time horizon that the Holy Spirit helps us think about. For this reason, he says in verse 15, because I've heard in your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you. I remember my prayers. I pray, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know. Now, what does he want us to know? He doesn't say that you may know what your career will be in six months, that you may know who you're going to marry, that you may know. There's no, that's not the knowledge. It's the knowledge that he wants them to have, that what he wants the Spirit to reveal, is the hope to which he's called you. That's far future. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? God doesn't give us perfect knowledge of the immediate future, but he gives us certain knowledge of our eternal future. And he calls us right now through his divine revelation to engage in ministry with with that in mind. I believe God has called us to do great things for Him. Maybe, and I encourage you to pursue those things. Notice what God has prohibited through His divine revelation or through circumstances. And then, with confidence, so obey His special revelation and begin to pursue the ministry that He has had in store for you from eternity past and will continue its completion into eternity future. Steadfast humble obedience to God's special revelation grants us confidence that the Holy Spirit is directing our ministry. Father, we are mindful that you have given us direction. Father, some of us are very disappointed this morning. Some of us are, are devastated by, by where we are at this moment. Just life-crushing things that have, have happened that have that have stopped us in our tracks and caused us to, to question what your plan for us is. Father, some of us are directionless. We're not quite sure what we're to do with our lives, what we're to do with, with our, our moments, what we're to do with the, the things you've given us. And Father, some of us are, are just desiring to, to grow deeper in you, to walk in, in more complete obedience. So, Father, we we this morning, first of all, we... We submit ourselves to your, your sovereign providential hand. We recognize that in in avenues of ministry that you have shut off from us right now, we, we rejoice in that. We, we recognize and we humble ourselves in your direction and in places that you have put us, we recognize your providential hand in those things as well and we submit to that. And, and in those things you've revealed to us and what we're pursuing that we must not, we confess and we repent of. We turn from those things. And Father, we turn instead to the things that we know you desire us to do. We know that you desire us to 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 believe in your son Jesus. We know that you desire us to do good. We know that you desire us to do good to one another. We know that you desire us to to serve your saints. We know that you desire us to to give of our lives for one another. And so, Father, as we prepare to partake of your Lord's Supper, as we prepare to remember the work of your son Jesus to bring us into relationship with you, we also commit ourselves to, to sacrificial service for you, And in those areas where we're able, help us to do the ministry to which you've called us, not through our own enabling, but through the enabling work of your spirit. We rely upon him this morning. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. (laughs)